Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. Are you in your dream job? Or did you work in your dream job? Or have you thought about your dream job if you're a student, if you're middle school, right? Have you thought about your dream job? No. Some of you would say, yes, I am. Some of you would answer that question and say, yeah. Maybe from a kid you said, I'm going to set out to be something, and you have done it. You have made um, kind of this uh, place for you that you are an influence of where you are and where you work. You enjoy what you do. And you would say, yes, I'm completely in my dream job. Now, there's others of you that would say this. No, I'm not my dream job, but I don't mind it, and I enjoy going to work. And the reason why you enjoy going to work is because of the people. And the pay helps as well, right? <laughs> but, you know, you, you enjoy it and you would say, yeah, it's not necessarily my dream job, but I don't, you know, dread going to work. I actually enjoy it. And then there's some of you here and you're saying, dream job? What's a dream job? I'm stuck in my job, right? And you're stuck in your job and who knows how you got there, but you're stuck, and because you feel like you can't escape because you need the money and you don't know what you're going to do or where you're going to go and you don't like it and you're looking for change and you're thinking, how am I going to get out of this job that I'm currently stuck in? And, and for some of you thinking it's too late for me to go back to school to get my degree so I can be my dream job or it's too late for me to, to switch jobs. I, I just can't do that. Um, Whatever the, whatever the reason is, you just feel like you're stuck. And, and if I asked you, hey, do you enjoy your work? Here's what you'd say. Well, it's just a job. It pays the bills. And that's kind of your outlook on your, on your job or, or, or life. And now there's some of you who would say this, and if you fall in this category, you're me. You'd say, I didn't set out to my dream job, but over a period of time, someone may have influenced you to change what you were going to do. Maybe you never thought you would be in the job you're currently in, but you enjoy it. And you can't imagine doing something else. Now, let me tell you this. Growing up, uh, being a pastor's kid, and now I'm the 14th generation of pastors within my family, um, I didn't want to be a pastor. Didn't want to do it. Did not want to do it. You know why? Because any corporation, any church, anything... When you're dealing with people, there's problems. And when you're a kid, you have an all-access pass to what really goes on in the church. And then all of a sudden, you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you're going, there's no way I want to do this for the rest of my life. So you know what my dream job was? To be a teacher. Wow. I want, the only reason I want to be a teacher is because I could teach and I could coach at the same time. Now I've been able to coach without teaching, which is great. But, um, but I thought, yeah, I could teach. And, and, you know, I've taught a little bit. I've substituted a little bit. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Not a chance. And let me tell you this. I mean, personally, people would disagree with me. But I don't like doing elementary substitution or substituting for elementary. It's just hard. And uh, I'd rather do middle school or high school. I know that's crazy. But I just thought, you know what, this is not what I want to do. But what happened, and the reason why I say that is, is because the Lord changed kind of my path and my direction of life. And he changed me. Now here's the thing. 
I can't imagine doing anything different. It was not my dream job. It was not what I wanted to do. But it was ultimately a change in my life and a change in my pattern and what the Lord had for me. Now, when you're talking about change, see, change gets a bad rip. It gets a bad rap, doesn't it? Because nobody likes change. But here's the thing about change. Change can move us forward into what's best. You know how I know that? It's because people do it every January. (laughs) Correct, right? I'm going to do my best this year, right? And it comes January, and they're thinking, I'm going to propel my life into a new adventure and a new chapter, and I'm going to change something about my life. And so they think, well, I'm going to do that. And and as they go, and their goals maybe not last that long, but they figure I'm going to change certain things about my life. And we go into that, and we believe that we have this this concept that we can change a certain area of our life. But it's not only just us, but it's also in the workplace. Right? We want change in our workplace. We want change in our relationships. We we want change all around because we want the best. And so we begin to hope that change, and change can propel us forward. Now think about this in terms of relationships. If it propels us forward to the best, when you think about relationships, in order for relationships to be effective, what do you do? You change. You work on your weaknesses. Right? So if you want a great friendship, you work on the things that are not very good for you. If you work on uh, your marriage, you want it to be great, you work on you and your weaknesses. And then when you're, you're a, a student and you're growing up and you get to adulthood, the decisions you make within right now, are going to affect your future. The decisions you make as a student are going to affect what you tend to do as well. So you have all that, and when it comes to it, we want the best. But here's the thing about change. Change, ultimately, even though it moves us forward and propels us forward, here's what it does. We resist it. We resist change. And here's why we resist change. The first reason why we resist change is this. Because we need control. We want control. And someone can say to you, hey, I want you to change, and I want you to work on this. And you can say, well, you're not in my situation. Why should you have any say in my life? Because ultimately, we want to control our lives. And ultimately, we want to change when we want to change. Right? And the second reason we don't want to change is because we're comfortable. And see, when you talk about change, it's risky. You don't know what's going to happen. You go from uncomfortable, or excuse me, you go from comfortable to uncomfortable. And nobody wants that. Everybody likes to be steady. Everybody likes to just go through life knowing what it's going to bring about. And there's some uncertainty when it comes to change. But when you think about this change, you have change in, in our physical physical lives, and, and we can change our lives to alter our lives physically, but we also need to alter our lives spiritually. Because if we don't alter our lives spiritually, then our relationship with the Lord becomes mundane. And you know what? Our prayers, here's what our prayers become. They become comfortable and they become routine. And some of us, we get in that routine and all we do is we pray the same prayer and it's a formula to God. And we don't drift and we don't move from our list. We don't move from the usual list that we come to God with. We don't pursue him in a way that we need to pursue him. 
And so our, our relationship becomes stale. Our prayers become stale. And ultimately, our life is never altered in, our, in the spiritual sense. We might try to in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, we don't because our prayers are just the same. So last week, here's what we said. We said this, that, that we started this series and we wanted you to grasp change in your life. And the reason why we wanted to grasp change in your life is because we want, God wants to alter your life. And the only way God can alter your life, and one of the ways God can alter your life, is by life-altering prayers. And if you were not here last week, let me just explain to you kind of where we started. Because we started with uh, David. And David, you know, shepherd, great as a shepherd, but when he became king, he made the biggest mistake of his life. And he chose to break up a marriage because he was unfaithful. And he broke up a marriage, and then that wasn't enough. He tried to hide his mistake and hide his sin, so what did he do? He accidentally, quote-unquote, murdered the man, the husband. And the Lord finds out, and the penalty of murder is what? Death. You die. And he came and he said, hey, look, Nathan the prophet came to David and said, you're not going to die. God's going to be gracious on you. And the reason why he was gracious on him is because David said he had sinned, and he said, I've come with a humble heart. I'm broken before the Lord. And when God breaks you, he allows you to make you whole again. And so he made David whole again. And if last week when we said, if you want to start with a life-altering prayer, then what you need to do is allow God to break you so he can make you whole again. Because there's no way that God's going to be able to do anything in your life if you are not broken. If you are just that, that stone and hard, God can't do anything. So now today we're going to look at two... two um, actually many individuals who actually had a choice. And see, when Jesus, when Jesus came here on earth, you know that many people had a choice? Because John the Baptist, what he began to declare was, hey, the Son of God is coming. The Messiah is coming. You need to repent. And, and people during that time, they had an opportunity to listen to him or they had an opportunity just to kind of say whatever. No, I don't, I don't have to listen to you, John the Baptist. And then when Jesus came, they had that opportunity, do I declare that he's the Son of God, do I declare that he's the Messiah, or do I continue doing things the way I want to do them? And when Jesus was here on earth, and after John the Baptist declares that, Jesus comes here on earth, and as he's here on earth, there are pivotal points in Jesus' life that transition his ministry. And one of those transitions we'll look at, it's in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to talk about that in Matthew chapter 4, but one of those transitions was this, and when Jesus was calling the men to follow him, there was this transition of ministry. And Matthew begins to record it because, believe it or not, Matthew was there. Matthew was actually one of those people who followed Jesus, and he was an eyewitness. So as he writes this, he's writing it from an eyewitness account. So in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18. And maybe you've heard the story. It's a famous story. It's a famous part of Scripture. But I want you to look at it through the lens of change and what happens to these men's lives. And here's what it says. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, the famous Peter, and his brother Andrew. Right? They were casting their net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So Peter, Andrew, Matthew. Okay, they're all up in, in Capernaum which is in the top northern part of Israel. Been there. It's, it's really, really neat. And it's around the Sea of Galilee. So it's, it's the Sea of Galilee is right there. And as they are doing this, 
they are um, basically kind of doing what everybody did. Fish. Because you're around a sea. And the family business was fishing. So if your dad did it, guess what? You did it. Talk about dream job. You don't get a choice in your dream job. <laughs> you just go into fishing, right? And so they're fishing. And and so what, what you have to understand is that's the normal thing. So in any city, you know, you have a trade. Well, the trade there was fishing. We have what? The oil field. So it was common for them to be fishermen. So they go in and, and Jesus begins to, to say this. And Jesus states a command that's going to usher in the transition. And here's what he says in verse 19. He says this. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or in another version it says to be fishers of men. Right? Now Jesus issued this sovereign command when he said, follow me. He ushered in this command and his transition to follow me. And here's why. It was important because he asked these men to leave everything they had known up to this point. And not only that, but he's asking them to follow him, who would be a rabbi, a teacher. And if you were going to follow a teacher or a rabbi, guess what? When you were like my age or even a little bit younger, you were way past the age to follow a rabbi and to follow in the footsteps of a rabbi. So it was way too late for them. And this Jesus is saying, well, well, come follow me. And he says, he says, come follow me. And when he says, come follow me, here's what he's saying. I want you to be a disciple of mine. I want you to follow me. Now, here's what you got to understand about disciple. Disciple in the Greek means learner. You learn. So you learn from the teacher. And here's what Jesus is saying. He says, no, no, no. I want you to come and just follow first. Don't learn first. I want you to follow first. And if anybody could call these men, anybody who could summon these men out of their occupation into following him, it was Jesus, the Messiah. And so he begins to do this. And look at their response. And and here is their response. Matthew 4.20, it says this. Going, excuse me, at once they left their nets and what? They followed him. They left everything they had known up to this point, and they followed Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that's risky. And some of us don't like risks, do we? Some of us shy away from risks. And some of us make calculated risks, don't we? We weigh all the options and the rewards, and is it worth me making a decision to take this risk? And then there's others of you who are like, who cares? Let's just do it, right? Let's just go for it. But see, these men here, it's a risk because it's their livelihood. It's leaving their family business. It's leaving everything, and there's a risk involved. And yet, what do they do? They drop their nets and follow him into a life of change. And look, they're not the only ones. Believe it or not, they're not the only ones. Verse 21, he says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, just think about that for a second. Now, you, what you have to understand is they, again, leave too. This is Jesus. Now, here's what we think. You think that this is the first time Jesus has met these men. Because that's what Matthew wants you to think. 
That's what he gives it up to his readers. He, it open-ended. Oh, Jesus just met these guys, and he's called them, and they're going. And John says, whoa, back up. And John in his gospel says, no, 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 no. These men actually knew Jesus beforehand. And actually, some of these, people, these men were around Jesus. And believe it or not, Jesus even saw these men in certain situations. So it wasn't just like a cold call, hey, come follow me. No, he actually kind of knew them or saw them or what was going on in their lives. And then he called them. But see, even though they knew Jesus beforehand, here's the thing. Their decisions, the disciples' decision was not done in haste, but it was significant. And the reason why it was so significant, because even though they knew Jesus or could have known Jesus from beforehand, they could have been hesitant They could have paused, and they could have said no. We know what you're like, Jesus. We know who you are, and there's not a chance I'm giving up my livelihood to come follow you. But they didn't. They didn't second-guess themselves. They walked into change. Dropped their nets and followed him. Now, think about it. Now, if you're James or John, your dad's right there. And your dad's in the boat. And you're thinking, this guy's calling me, but there's a struggle. My dad's right here, and I've got this business to run. And you drop your nets and you follow Jesus. Now think about if you're the dad. <laughs> what, what's going on here? I don't See, the, the scripture doesn't say what, what he was thinking. I don't know if he was a loss for words. I don't know if he said anything and it wasn't recorded. Or I don't know if he was just okay with it. But I can tell you this, what he knew was, as soon as they stepped out of the boat, guess what? Jesus was going to change their lives forever. He was going to change their life forever. And so Jesus changed not only their profession, but guess what Jesus did? He changed their lives. See, these men who made a well-balanced decision, they made a well-balanced decision to give up their family and to give up their livelihood to follow Jesus. And here's the thing about following Jesus. He was calling them to follow him permanently. It was a permanent change. It wasn't like, hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm just going to go back. It was, no, you're going to follow me, and you're just going to see where we end up. And you have no idea where we're going, but just come follow me. And so he begins to, they begin to go on this adventure, and he changes their lives. He changes them for the good. And it's just amazing what the Lord begins to do in and through their lives. But when he says, follow me, here's what you need to know. Is follow me had so many implications. And here's what I mean by that. Well, follow me, he's saying, come and follow me. Meaning that I'm going to take you from being fishing for fish to fishing for people. There's going to be not a physical change, but Spiritual change. You're going to start doing something spiritual and making an impact in the kingdom of God. That you're actually going to do this. And he would give this um, idea of fishing and this terminology because they could understand it. So if I say you're going to fish for men, they could understand exactly what he was saying. They had a concept of it. So they knew that he was asking what they, he was asking them to do, but here's the thing about Jesus. He was only asking them to do that, but he was asking them to make a transformation in their life. There would be a big transformation that would take place in the men. Because the message of Jesus and the gospel message had to be spread 
throughout the world. And the message was going to be taken by these men and widespread so that people's hearts and lives could be changed completely. And so when he began to do this call, it, it meant this, that there was a lot of uh, letting go of responsibility. I mean, there was going to be a lot of responsibility and letting go of possessions. That if I'm calling you to do what I've called you to do, then you're going to have to let go of some things. And so when Matthew begins to write, and he, he writes in, in this, and as he goes along in his gospel, you will see this, that Jesus does not really forget the crowd because there's always crowds around him. And Jesus touched people in the crowds, and he'd heal people, and he'd touch them. But he would pour into the life of these 12 men. And he would pour into them, and he wanted them to grasp a single thing and, and some things. And here's what he wanted them to grasp. That I want you to own my values. I want you to own my principles. I want you to understand what I'm passionate about, and I want you to be passionate about it. And I want you to live the way I live. And in essence, what Jesus was saying is, I want you to follow my example and see what I've come to do in this world. And I want you to emulate that. And that's what he was calling these men to do. Drastically change their lives to follow this guy. And see, they, they, had, a, they had a decision to make that day. And the decision was, was cl- quite clear, wasn't it? It was change. And some of us, we have we made that decision. We've made a decision to follow Jesus. And we follow Jesus, and, and we've continued to do that. But when you follow Jesus for a period of time, he's also calling you to change. See, Jesus doesn't want you to stay the same. He didn't want those disciples to stay the same, because he taught them for three and a half years. He transformed their lives and gave them kingdom principles and kingdom concepts so they could change the world. And so when he begins to, to do this, see, some of us, when we have actually start following Jesus, but we're not changing. And today Jesus is calling you to change. And maybe he's calling you to change and it starts with a prayer. And maybe he's asking you to pray a prayer of change because here's the one simple truth about praying for change and here's what I want you to get for today. It's this. It's dangerous to pray, God, change me. But it's more dangerous not to change. Let me say that again. It is dangerous to pray, God, change me. But it's more dangerous not to change. Here's the reason why I say that. Because outside change is not enough. Real change comes from within. What in the world? Let me just, let me just tell you. There's a belief that all you have to do is change your outside. You know how I know this? It's because you did it as a child. And you have children and you raise children. They do it as well. You know what it's called? It's called behavior modification. Because what do we want from our kids? We want them to change their behavior. We want them to change what they're doing on the what? Outside. And see, when, and kids know this. We all knew it growing up, right? We knew that if I get, I knew how to get in trouble, I knew how to avoid trouble. All I have to do is modify my behavior. Nothing really has to change inside. I just have to change the outside. And so we, we, we go and when a kid changes their behavior, what happens? All of a sudden, mom and or dad is happy. And when mom and dad are happy, 
then life's good, isn't it? And the house is good. But is it enough just to change our behavior on the outside? I would say no, and I would disagree. If you say it's just enough to change your behavior on the outside, I disagree. Real change comes from within, because here's why. When you get into adulthood, and us as adults, we get into adulthood, and we can believe that behavior modification is enough, and we can live as if behavior modification is enough. So we can go through life beginning to say the right things and do the right things. And what we can do is we can begin to let people know who we, who you know, just put up this idea of who we are and show people who we are, really are when we want to because we can modify our behavior. We do it in our workplaces. We do it in our family. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our relationships. We just modify our behavior. But here's what happens if you believe outside change is enough. What's going to happen is the honeymoon phase is going to be over. At some point, someone is going to see you for who you really are. Because the facade is going to erode away. And they're going to see you and they're going to wonder, whoa, where did that come from? Right? Because you've been modifying your behavior for so long that it's just, you haven't shown them the side of you. And all of a sudden you show the side of you and you can get away with it once. They can handle it. You can get away with it twice. They're okay with it. They'll forgive you. Three times or more, you continue to do a lot. Then what happens when people see that you're not modifying your, you're just modifying your behavior? What they tend to do is go, When are you going to change? When are you going to stop? Why do you continue to do that? See, they're asking questions and they're good questions because at the core of it, it's because you've only changed the outside, you've not changed the inside. See, because real change comes from within inside. Because you know what you have to change? You have to change your heart. You don't change your behavior, you change your heart. So if you're asking God to pray for change, he's going to change your heart, not your behavior. Because in essence, everything comes out of your heart. It's where everything begins. It's where your speech begins. What you're going to do. How you're going to live. All comes from your heart. And so when Jesus says and asks to to change you and you're asking God, would you change me? Here's what you're asking. Would you change my heart? See, God is more concerned about your heart than your behavior because if he's got your heart, your behavior will follow. Because everything flows out of your heart. And when those men did that and they crossed, you know what they said? They gave everything. They gave everything away, including their heart. Their heart was completely for Jesus. There was nothing holding them back. But a lot of us, what tends to happen is roadblocks. Roadblocks happen in our life and prevent us from changing. Roadblocks can prevent us from changing. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate roadblocks. I hate road work. I hate detours. I hate everything, especially when you're in a hurry. You know, when you're off to work in the morning and you're expecting to go your normal route and all of a sudden you're stopped and they have the roadblock and you got to take a detour. I do not like that. Matter of fact, you know, you get frustrated and it's really interesting to see people when there's a long line, 
right? Because what they'll do, you'll, you'll know the really impatient ones, they'll pull out a line and go a different direction like they're going to get there faster, right? And instead of just taking the detour, they're going to take their own detour and try to figure out this on their own. I don't like that. And, and matter of fact, if I go and I know there's already going to be a road closure or I see it once, you can fool me once, but I'm taking the detour right away and I'm going to take another way. Matter of fact, I have stayed off university for a year because of the road work. I'm not even going down that street. I'm sure it's open, but it's it's open now. So now I'll go down it. But I'm frustrated. But here's why I say that. Because roadblocks stop us from our destination physically. There are roadblocks in our life that prevent us to getting where God wants us to be spiritually. And these roadblocks, we happen to do to ourselves. And it's within us. And here's what I mean by that. We are more, here's a roadblock. We are more concerned with what we have than what we're going to gain if we follow Jesus. We're more concerned about what we have currently than what we will gain when we follow Jesus or what he will change about us. Now, the reason why I say that is because there was a young man who came to Jesus and here's what he said. He said, Jesus, what must I do? What is the one good thing I must do to inherit eternal life? Notice it was a good thing. What is the one good thing I have to do? And Jesus is like, well, have you held to the commandments? Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't, don't do all that stuff. And he says, yeah, 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 I have, I have. And then his response, Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 19 throws the young man. And in Matthew chapter 19, and it says this in, in, in uh, verse 21. So he answers him, Jesus, after this. Because he says, what do I still lack? If I've kept all these commandments, what do I still lack? He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You know why he went away sad? It's because his possessions prevented him from following Jesus. His possessions was the roadblock, stumbling block from following Jesus. It was the one thing that prevented him. He was never, ever going to follow Jesus. You know why? Because it was a heart issue. And his heart was towards his possessions and not towards Jesus. And when Jesus calls us to follow him and to be changed when we follow him, it means we're abandoning the stuff that we have. And we're allowing God and allowing Jesus to transform us and to change us into what he wants us to be. And maybe for you and and perhaps many people, and it could be you, but there are people who have roadblocks in their heart just like this young man. And the roadblock is their possessions, their money, or it could be something else. But there's something inside of you, there's something that you're holding on to that is preventing God from doing what he wants to do in your life. And I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I do know. Whatever it is, it's your security. Whatever it is, it's got your heart. Whatever it is, it's where your trust is. So I don't know what it is, but I can tell you this. Nobody wants to give up their security, do they? No. Because security makes us safe. 
And if I have to give up this one thing, like the young man, if I have to give up my wealth, then I'm not safe and I lose my security and I lose what I put all my trust in. See, but when you're asked, what are you willing to give up in order to gain? There's a roadblock there. And there's a roadblock for many people and there's a roadblock for this young man. And the other roadblock is not what you have to give up in order to get what you gain, but the other thing is fear. Many people have a roadblock of allowing Jesus to change their life when they follow him because of fear. You don't know where God is going to take you. And for some of you, that scares you. Because for some of us, we love to be comfortable. It could be horrible, but we're still comfortable. Right? And if we go and and we're in this place, then all of a sudden, if I have to change, then I go from comfortable to uncomfortable. And I get scared. And I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know what he's going to do. But it scares us. So here's what you have to do. You must remove the roadblocks. You must remove the roadblocks. See, because here's what you have to believe. You have to believe that God has the best for you. He has the best intentions for you. See, you don't have a problem with your security and your trust if you believe that God trusts you or that God will lead you to the best possible place in your life. You don't have that issue. You don't have that problem. See, but it begins with trust. See, think about this. When someone gives you advice, don't they give you the best advice possible for you? Right? They'll give you the best knowledge so you can make the wisest decision for yourself. That's what your friends do. If you say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need some advice. They're not going to steal your wrong on purpose, are they? No. And if a parent really loves their child, what are they going to do? They want the best for the child. They're not going to steer the child wrong, are they? Are you sure you want to do that? Maybe you should think about this. And they'll try to steer the child in the best possible direction. And it is true of your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father wants to steer you in the best direction possible. He's not going to steer you wrong. So remove our roadblocks and allow our trust and put our security in Him and allow Him to change us no matter how uncomfortable we really are. Allow Him to do that. See, because what happens is when we remove the roadblocks and we understand that God has the best for our lives, here's what happened. Growth happens. Growth can remove the roadblock because it happens. And growth is a little scary because you know what growth means? It means change. And in our human nature, anytime something changes, we're going to resist it. But let me tell you this. If God is doing something good in you, it's because he's growing you. Growth happens means God is doing something good in you. So don't resist what God wants to do in your life. Because at some point too, here's what you have to come to the realization is. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. You're going to have to come to that realization. See, I can, I can continue to, to go my direction and take that detour and not remove the roadblock to where God wants me to go. But if I take a detour, guess what happens? I'm going to end up with second best. 
I don't know anyone who competes, who says, I'm competing for second. Does it, nobody does that. I don't care if it's sports, the spelling bee, or any contest. You're not going to go, man, I hope I get second. Nobody does that. Right? Nobody goes in saying, I'm going second best for my life. So why do we do it spiritually? Why do we settle for second best when it comes to our spiritual lives? But we won't do it in any other life, any other part of our life, but in our spiritual life, we settle for second best. You know what second best is? It is first loser. So my, that's what I always learned, but it's also becoming mediocre and not excellent. If you're the top of something, if you're the best at something, you're excellent at that field. You're excellent at what you do. See, and I don't think any of us, when it comes to life, want to settle for mediocrity. None of us, you know, graduate high school or, or college or university and go, man, I just hope I have a mediocre life. Just have an average mediocre job. None of us do that. We excel in, in what we want to do. And see, when you have two people, when, I, when, I, when you marry people, when you have the bride and the groom, they come up here and look, they're in love. And they give their vows. And they're not thinking, man, I hope we, we have a mediocre marriage. They don't say, hey, I hope that we get together and we raise mediocre kids. They don't say that. Because they want a great marriage. And they want great kids. And every one of us wants a great life. But when we begin to go down and, and, and settle for mediocrity and settle for second best, you know what at the destination? You go down this path and, and the direction you head and the destination that you're going to lead to is regrets. And can I tell you this? What the truth about you and me is nobody likes regrets. And most of us are ashamed of our regrets. Because when we tell our life story, we tend to omit our regrets, don't we? Because nobody needs to know that. I'm, I'm ashamed of, of that because we went our own way in our own direction. God can redeem that, and he does redeem that, but we still go that direction. And we, and we settle. See, regrets happen when we believe we know what is better than what our Heavenly Father knows for our lives. And we begin to follow our wisdom and our advice instead of him and allowing him to change. You end up in the in regrets because you don't allow God to change you fully. And you don't remove those roadblocks. So, real change happens when we follow Jesus completely. And change is going to shake us at our core. Change is going to hit us in our relationships. It's going to hit us with our security. And it's going to touch us at the core of who we are. And when Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, it changed those men for the rest of their lives. Did they know where they were? Did they know where they were going? No. Did they know where they were going to end up? No. But the, yet they had the willingness to follow him and allow him to change him when they followed and gave everything completely to him. He changed them. 
See, change can be destructive if we allow it. See, change was destructive for that young man because he wasn't willing to change for Jesus. He wasn't willing to give up his possessions. He wasn't willing to give up his security. There's actually another another guy who says, well, wait, Jesus, let me, before I follow you, let me go bury my mother and father. And his priorities were kind of off. And Jesus said, fine, I'm, Jesus just walked. And really, it's a hard issue. Again, if we don't change our heart, it will be destructive for our lives. And if we don't allow God to change our hearts, we won't truly change. So here's my question to you. What roadblocks are preventing you or preventing you from real change? Because you can walk with God two years, two months, 20 years, and there still might be roadblocks there. So what is the roadblocks that are preventing you from real change? And here's what I want you to do as we, as we close. I want you to identify them, and I want you to ask God to remove them. And I want you to be like those men who don't know where they were going, but had complete trust in that God had the best for their lives and best included changing them completely. And I want you to to allow God to change you completely. Because it's dangerous to pray, God, change me. But it's more dangerous not to change. So allow the Lord to change you today. So as we pray, I want you to identify those things. Then I want to allow the the Lord to to touch you, to mold you and to shape you and do what he wants you to be. To drop those roadblocks and allow heart change, a complete heart change in your life. So let's pray. Lord, we we completely come to you. And Lord, as, as we are here, completely surrendered to you. God, what we ask right now, would you lay those things on our heart that we know, that we've been struggling with, Lord? Those things that are preventing us from following you. Holy Spirit, would you remove those now in the name of Jesus? Lord, if it's possessions, remove those. Lord, if it's trust and we're not trusting you, remove remove that God, and and help us to trust you completely. Lord, if it's fear, remove the fear in us now in the name of Jesus. Lord, if it's we're scared because it's a call to being uncomfortable and we don't know where you're going to lead us. Lord, right now we identify those roadblocks and for every man, woman, student in here, God, would you just begin by the power of your Holy Spirit to remove those roadblocks, remove those things that we trust and place our security in, and Lord, would we follow after you, one foot in front of the other. And God, as we follow you completely, and maybe we followed you for years, but God, we're asking this, we're asking you to change us today from the inside out. And so, Lord, if our hearts are hardened, if our hearts are broken, if our hearts just need a healing, Lord, and a transformation, would you transform our hearts in the name of Jesus? God, only you know what we're going through. Only you know what we need to do to get where ultimately you want us to be. So, Holy Spirit, would you just begin now to work on our hearts? Would you begin to work on our minds? And, Lord, as we do this, 
May we be a church that is completely changed by Jesus Christ as we walk with you each and every day. We are thankful for the things you're going to do and the things you're doing in our lives right now. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.